Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE International, and we want to welcome you to a special episode of the Missions Podcast today. Scott Dunford and I, uh, we have a lot of things in common and a lot of things about us that are different, but one thing that we share in common is that we're both primarily churchmen. And when we have the privilege of preaching, we want to prayerfully offer that to others as well and make that available to you as a resource. And so today's episode is a message preached by Scott Dunford at Community Evangelical Free Church in Harrisburg, PA, in January 2018 with the title, The Mission of God's People. And we do pray that you're edified by this episode today. We think it'll be really valuable to you. Before we dive in, we also want to remind you that the Missions Podcast is sponsored by the Global Gospel Fund, which supports a thousand missionaries in nearly 70 countries doing front lines evangelism discipleship and church planting among the least reached and the unreached and you can learn more or partner now at abwe.org slash global gospel fund and now we do invite you to relax and enjoy the message that's brought to you today by scott dunford enjoy the episode good morning for those of you who don't know me i'm scott dunford i'm one of the pastor elders here you know that feeling when you maybe save up all your money, you go to the big Broadway show that you want to go see, you finally get to New York City and you sit down and you get ready to watch the show and then instead of the headliner, it is the uh, stand-in. I am your stand-in this morning. When I'm not here at church and sometimes on Sundays, you'll notice that my family will be here but I'm not here because I work for a mission agency called ABWE and I sometimes travel the country and get a chance to speak in other churches and talk to them about what God is doing. And that is what I want to do this morning with you. We're going to talk about the topic of the mission of God's people. We're going to enjoy our time together studying God's word and seeing what God is doing around the world. Let's pray. Father, the lesson that you teach us in your word is that you are sovereign over all. You ordain the good you allow the evil, and you use all those things to magnify your great and glorious name. And so, Lord, anything that makes us small and makes you great in our eyes, Lord, is a good and blessed thing. And this morning, as we look at your word and we analyze and even allow our hearts to be penetrated by your Holy Spirit, God, I ask that you will make your name great among us, that we will so be compelled by your glory and the vision of who you are, that we will be compelled to move from what we want to be to what you want us to be, and that your will will become our will, that your will will indeed be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, I ask you will meet with us this morning, fill me with your spirit, help me, Lord, to be able to communicate your truth in a way that would be pleasing to you and appropriate and compelling to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the biggest stories, news stories going on in the world right now is maybe a story that you haven't heard of. If you were to turn on the news, it seems to be dominated by headlines of things happening in America. Some of them are scandalous. Some of them are plain ridiculous. Most of them are very frustrating. But yet, if you were to look past some of the American news and get into some of the deeper world news websites, you hear a name continually come up, and that name is of a people group on the backside of nowhere in the jungle hill tracks of Myanmar and Bangladesh called the Rohingya people. 
One of the largest stories in the world. The UN is calling the Rohingya and the Rohingya crisis the most, the, the Rohingya people are the most persecuted people group in the world. They're in the middle of what the UN has labeled a full on genocide. And here is this semi nomadic people living here on that border of two obscure countries. And we have a Buddhist government in Myanmar who's decided they don't want them in Myanmar anymore. And they began a systematic extermination of a people group. And as this people group fled across the border, they were herded into places where they were known to be landmines. And so many women and children and men were, had their limbs amputated by landmines. Soldiers were shooting at them. And they rushed across the border into a country that did not want them, the country of Bangladesh. The stats are overwhelming. Over 2 million people in this people group, a large people group. Over 6,000 of them are now refugees living across the border in Bangladesh, which is an impoverished nation with not enough resources to care for them. Already over 2,000 deaths, and that number is growing. But where could they go? As they fled, they just ran, and they crossed the river, and many of them drowned, but those that got across found themselves unexpectedly in this little village called Cox's Bazaar, where it just so happens in the providence of God that ABWE's NGO partner, the Memorial Christian Hospital, is located. It's the only, the only surgical hospital in the whole country that is able to deal with the kind of trauma injuries that this people group is dealing with. Does God have a plan and a purpose in the tragedy? And yet as we hear about this tragedy, it can be compounded a hundred times over of things that are going on around the world. Some of you have lived through tragedies that are equal to this. You know what this is like because you've lived this. And for those of us who are watching and following these stories on the news, we find that in some ways our capacity to be able to resonate with the trauma and the suffering of what is happening around the world is stunted because we're just constantly being bombarded with more and more and more, and we can't take it anymore. We're not able to comprehend, much less empathize, with the suffering that we see around the world. And yet, it's not just around the world that tragedy and suffering are taking place. We have tragedy all the time here, right here in America. It was just a couple months ago that we heard of hurricane after hurricane battering the south and the devastation that left in its wake, both in Florida, but particularly in Houston, Texas. We turn on the news and we see the wildfires raging through California and we see and hear stories of loved ones who are torn apart because of this fire that is uncontrollable and death. Or the tragedy of shootings that we hear about. All of us can remember watching the news unfolding of that tragedy in Las Vegas as a gunman just opens fire on innocent people and hundreds are left dead and injured. So we see the needs are not just needs there, but they're also needs that are overwhelming to us here. And some people then say, especially as it relates to the idea of missions, well, isn't America then the third largest mission field? And in one sense, that's true. 
because America is the third largest country in the world, population-wise. And so there are a lot of lost people here. And as we see this, we realize that, yeah, there's lost people in Bangladesh, and there's lost people in the Muslim parts of Arabia. There's also lost people here. And what is the difference? Is there any difference? Why in the world should we spend energy going there when there's lost people here? Is there any difference between a lost person in Bangladesh and a lost person in the United States? The question is, what is the weight of a soul? If we were to take your eternal part and someone we were able to quantify it, and we were able to put it on a scale on one side, and then we were to take the soul of someone far away from us who's unreached and unheard of the gospel, maybe in Bangladesh, and we were to take their soul and put it on a scale, would one side weigh more than the other to God? Both will live for eternity somewhere. So how do we as a church in America, full of resources, how do we do a cost value analysis for those of you who are business people on the eternal destiny of a life? How do we break down what is the important things that we should spend our limited time and money and resources on? How do we weigh a soul and determine what is the best use of those dollars and those lives and those resources. In essence, I'm asking the question, a question that maybe you're thinking in your mind, as you hear a guy come up and stand in front of you and talk about missions, is, is missions a good value? I'm telling you this morning, it is a bad value. It costs thousands of dollars to send a missionary overseas. You take our pastor's salary and double it, and that's what it costs to send and outfit and equip and give them resources for ministry in some parts of the world. Now, other parts of the world, it's much less, but in some places, it is extremely expensive to send someone. It costs a lot of money. It also is very inefficient. It costs years for that person to move from America and go to another place and learn a new language. And not only learn a new language, that's the easy part, learn a new culture. And those of you who are here from other cultures realize, because you've experienced it here, how different cultures can be. I remember when we moved to China, we found very quickly that everything that we thought should be a certain way was the opposite way to those people who we were working with. Every instinct that we had about how to build relationships and how to move forward was absolutely wrong. It takes years to learn a language and culture. In many places, it's dangerous. In the last couple of years, we've actually had missionaries on the field die. And every year, Christians who are doing ministry are martyred for their faith, going and taking the gospel to places where the people don't want them. It's inconvenient. You have to get there and here, and they miss Christmas at home with the family, and when family gets sick, they're not always to be there right away. It's challenging, it's difficult, it's dangerous, it's expensive, and for some of us, maybe the most important thing is there's no NFL football in some of those countries. I remember my family had to pay a lot of money to get that special NFL ticket and wake up 3 o'clock in the morning just to watch the Packers. And for some of you right there, that was the deal breaker, right? I want to go into missions. I can deal with the death. I can deal with the danger. I can deal with the cost. But no football or no basketball, I'm out. And yet these are barriers and obstacles to evangelism there. So the question then that you may be thinking 
is wouldn't it be better and smarter to just not do that, but to do it here? We've already established that there's many, many people here who without the gospel right here in our own neighborhood. Why then shouldn't we pull back from the world and just engage the world that's at our doorstep? And then the next question that you might be thinking is, but aren't there even more Christians over there than there are here? And in some senses, that might be true. Christianity is exploding around the world. Just as we've seen the church retract in North America, the church is exploding in what some missiologists call the global south. Those places like Africa and South America and and Southeast Asia and even China. There are growing churches in those places The gospel is expanding readily there. Now, for those of you who are nerds, I'm going to show you a uh, a slide behind me that some of you will enjoy. The rest of you can just tune out, uh, look at your phone, catch up on Facebook for a second. But this map behind me, I think, okay, yes, shows how the center of the Christian world is changing. You see, back at the very beginning of Christianity, it started in Jerusalem, and all the Christians were centered around Jerusalem. And then as Christianity grew and spread out, you see that the gospel moved northward, and it moved westward until around 1900. Then we see a dramatic shift as the gospel had expanded more and more to South America and Mexico and Asia and Africa, and it takes a southward turn until now we see in the year 2000 uh, and, and 2025 and 50 and, and beyond that, we see how the, the center, the epicenter of the global Christian world has shifted from Jerusalem to Europe to now the heart of Africa. There are now more Christians in the global south than in the global north. So again, I ask the question, why do we go? Why do we spend millions of dollars taking the gospel to these places? Why do we send our precious sons and our daughters to places that are dangerous? Why do we urge young people to give up the American dream and to pour out their lives for a people who do not love them, who do not want the gospel, and wish that the Westerner would just go home? Why? The first reason why is very simply this, because Jesus commands us to go. In Acts chapter 1, 8, as Jesus is wrapping up his earthly ministry, he speaks to the disciples and he challenges them with this, but you will receive power, power that's not from your own self, power that is bigger than you, that is not part of your own resources, that is beyond your ability, that even gets you over the loss of football. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now imagine being one of these little disciples who just watched your Savior crucified, and you're still trying to comprehend how this Savior who was crucified suddenly rose from the dead three, year, three, three days later. You've never left your little area of, of Galilee and Jerusalem, which is just, you know, it's, it's like traveling between here and Pittsburgh, even less than that. That's all you've ever seen in your whole life. And now Jesus is saying, you're going to receive power, and you're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I imagine to some of those guys, they were thinking, are you kidding me? I might go to Egypt. And God's like, oh, no, 
There's a whole lot more for you than Egypt. You mean Babylon? Oh no, there's more for you than that. And when Christ commands the disciples to go to the ends of the earth, he commands us as his people, as the extension of that people, to fulfill his command to take the gospel by the power of the Spirit till the ends of the earth. In Matthew chapter 28, he says the exa- almost the exact same thing, but in different ways. He says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is important, especially when governments say, You can't do that. Jesus says, All authority is mine, so I will tell you what to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. And so we see in these two passages, but also in many other passages, that we go, first of all, because Jesus says to go. We go because it is our commission. Our commission is to replicate ourselves, to make disciples, and not just make disciples within our own little comfort zone and people group and affinity groups, but to go where the gospel isn't, to push the boundaries of taking the gospel to those who have not yet heard. We go into all the world because Jesus sent us with a global gospel. And then second, we go because the good news is for everyone. We see this in Romans chapter 10. And I'm jumping from Jesus to Paul because I believe that Paul is being sent out uniquely as one that we would say is a prototype of missionaries. He's one that was called to take the gospel, not just to the Jews, but to expand the reach to those who had not yet heard of the good news, who had not access to the scriptures, to the Gentiles. And Paul, in chapter 10, he starts getting into this, que- into this question of, of what in the world is God calling his church to do? And picking up in verse 13, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This was radical news for these people. It isn't just the Jews who can be saved. It is actually a gospel that is for everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he asks four rhetorical questions of us that it will do good for us to consider. He says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Just pause a second and ponder the answer to that question. Paul saying unequivocally, they can't. They cannot call on him whom they have never heard. They can't believe in him whom they have never heard. They cannot hear unless someone preaches the gospel to them. And they can't preach unless they're sent out. There's a level of intentionality here that Paul is calling the church to. A seriousness about engaging in missions. This isn't just maybe someone will rise up and go. 
No, there's an intentionality of the body of Christ saying, we believe that this is the mission that God has given us, and we will raise up and pray for and send out God's people, just like the church in Antioch did with Paul and Barnabas. And yet there is a problem. Paul says they can't hear without a preacher, but the problem is bigger than maybe you've ever imagined. There's an impossible problem in missions. Our population is 7.4, 7.5 billion. It kind of doesn't matter because it's growing every day. And out of that 7.4, 7.5 billion people are 3.1 billion people of which missiologists call unreached people groups. And you say, what does that mean? Those are long words. A people group is, generally speaking, the, the largest group of people that social, socially and economically and linguistically and maybe even religiously, can, can, the gospel can expand and without having to, to go through some incredible shift in order to give the gospel to them. Um, I have enough missiologists in the room, like Brittany's kind of scratching your head, like, Scott, you butchered that, but you get the idea. It's a large group in which the gospel can freely move within without having to be translated or somehow contextualized. So some of those groups are large, multiple millions of people. Some of them are small, just hundreds of thousands of people. But 3.1 billion of the world's population are part of an unreached people group in which they do not have access to the gospel. In these people groups, they likely will never even know another Christian. In fact, 86% of the Buddhists, Muslims, and Hindus in this world will live and die and spend their whole life and never once meet another Christian. And so you think about our gospel need in this community. Everyone here in this community will bump into a Christian one day or another because they'll meet you. Whether you share the gospel with them is another thing, but they will meet you. They have opportunity and access to turn on the Christian radio station or wander in here or have a Bible study with you and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But 86% of the largest groups in the world will never meet another Christian in their entire life. There are between 300 and 700 million evangelical Christians in the world, and we've learned that almost means nothing. But still, these are people who proclaim that potentially they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But out of that three to 700 million people, only 140,000 of those people are engaged in global missions. They're global missionaries. That's less than 0 four percent, maybe point zero zero four percent. I wish someone with better math skills than me could do this math. It's a minuscule number. That's my point. A minuscule number of God's people are engaging in this great task that Paul says, if they don't hear, they can't believe. Roughly 42% of the world's population live in a group that's considered unreached. And then the question that you might be asking, if all the Christians aren't here, then where are they? You see the map behind me, and what that shows us is that all the Christians live next to each other. As Christianity is exploding in places like South America, and there's still work to be done there. In Sub-Saharan Africa, and there's still work to be done there. In North America, and there's still work to be done there. We see huge parts of this world in which there are no Christians, or very few Christians. Because the Christians are living next to each other. And so the question that Paul and the, 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 the message that Paul leaves us with in chapter 10 is this. He quotes from Isaiah and he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If they can't believe without hearing, 
then those people who take the gospel of Jesus Christ, their feet are blessed and they are beautiful because they take the gospel to those who are in desperate need of it. I don't know about you, but my feet are ugly. We've got big toes. Now that I'm getting older, they're getting hairier. I don't like to go in sandals, but I will because I'm a 40-year-old man. And the gospel says that when I take the gospel with these feet to people who have not heard, they're blessed feet and they're beautiful feet because of the message that they bear. The feet are beautiful because the gospel is beautiful. So we go because Jesus sends us, and we go because the gospel is for everyone. But we also go because some songs just need to be sung. Paul continues this argument up in Romans chapter 15. So let's just flip our page over to Romans chapter 15, and we can pick it up in chapter 8. Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For as it is written, I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, Uh, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. So we see here that Paul is saying that out of a, a heart that overflows with the gospel comes a song that must bubble up within the heart of his people. We all know exactly what I'm talking about. Next week, the Philadelphia Eagles get off their bye. And you'll be sitting in your living room, maybe. The other half of you will be watching Pittsburgh, I guess. The other half of you will be wishing you weren't Ravens fans. Uh, And you'll be watching the playoffs, and the Eagles will score, and what will come up into your heart? Fly, Eagles, fly. (laughs) Or maybe you'll start singing after a championship. We are the champions, my friend, and we'll keep on fighting to the end. You know this passion. We sing and we jump, and our family, when the Packers score a touchdown, we're not from around here, we jump up and we hug, and it is crazy, and you would think that we just won the lottery because we feel like we did. The Packers scored a touchdown. And yet how puny and pathetic is that display of excitement compared to the display of excitement that we should feel that our sins have been forgiven, that the curse of sin has been broken, that our king has revealed himself, and that God has come to dwell with us. And that is why Paul says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. He's drawing from the history of his people. The Psalms had prophesied it, and the prophets had prophesied it, that God would come and dwell with his people. And when the Gentiles hear the news of that, their hearts burst in song. And that should be us. And that should drive us to missions. The heart of missions is a heart of worship. And our goal should be that there is no corner of the earth where people do not know the glorious, saving power of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we go because his promises are sure. 
Paul takes these prophecies and these promises and he continues to build on them. He in fact goes on in verse 20 and 21 and he says this, Thus, because the Holy Spirit has compelled me and I've seen God working through power and might and, and work and I've seen the gospel spread all throughout Europe. He goes, and thus, I make it my ambition. What's your ambition this morning? If your children were to sit down and look at your life and do a little inventory for you and honestly answer you, what is your ambition? What would they write on the page? Or students, if your parents were to look at your life and how you spend your energy and how you spend your time and what you talk about and what you dream about, what would they write, students, is your ambition? Paul says, this is my ambition, to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never heard of him, been told of him, will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says, my ambition is to fulfill the ancient prophecies that were made. My ambition is to take the gospel to people who have not yet heard of the glory and the reign of Jesus Christ and extend the kingdom blessing to them. My mission is to extend the gospel, not where people have had a chance to hear, but where people have not yet had a chance to hear. This is my motivation. This means that when Paul woke up in the morning, what was on his mind? The glory of God to the nations. When Paul received a stoning and decided to go back into the city, why did he do it? Because of his ambition that was driving him. His ambition was not just rooted in something that was light and something that was temporary or something that he conjured up. No, he was, it was rooted in the eternal promises of God. It was rooted in the very character of God, the very heart of God to call out for himself a people from the nations. So when he quotes from Isaiah and says, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand, he's quoting from a larger context. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, it says this, the same passage that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 10, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who bring good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see in the return of the Lord to Zion. So break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. To understand this, you have to understand how Paul uses, or how Isaiah uses this phrase in his prophecy. Sometimes God is bearing his arms and he's bringing judgment. But other times, God is bearing his arms and he's bringing people in and is shepherding love and care. And here we see that the God of wrath and anger and judgment is now bearing his arms and calling the nations to himself. He has bared his only harm before the eyes of the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And so in verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. But that which has not been told of them, they shall see. And that which they have not heard, they shall understand. 
Paul says, this is why I can have the ambition that I have. Because it's not a futile ambition. The people may hate me. The people may try to kill me. But God has a people there. There are people among the Rohingya that God is bringing to himself. There are people among the Somalis that God is bringing to himself. There are people among the Hausa that God is bringing to himself. There are people among the Uyghurs that God is bringing to himself. There are some from every tribe and tongue and nation that God has called out for his own sake. And the goal of the missionaries is to go there and proclaim the good news to them and allow them to respond because everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the prophecy of God for us. This is our ambition, and this is our motivation. So you take our story of the Rohingya. A tragedy in every sense of the word. And yet God is moving in the middle of that tragedy. And it just so happened that the place in the river that the Rohingya crossed, there was a Christian hospital. And it just so happened in God's providence that the missionaries there had just finished the translation of the Bible into the Chittagonian language, which is the language of the Rohingyan people. So as they crossed the river with hurt and pain and suffering and questions, their arms, they, they, they ran into the open and welcome arms of Christians. The gospel prepared for them in care and love in the form of medical treatment. And we're praying and asking God to do a great work among this Rohingya people for his name's sake because we believe that the promises are true. We believe that some songs are worth singing. We believe that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we believe that Christ has sent us to do that great work. There's only God who could use an unthinkable plan to orchestrate using evil to open the doors to the gospel. And yet, untold billions are still untold. So the question I want to leave with us this morning as we go to the Lord's table and we celebrate the good things that God has done for us in, in the gospel and in this community of believers and in the fact that we can open the word together and just partake in that, as we celebrate this good community and this good gift of the gospel that God has given to us, wants to leave with these three questions. First of all, what is your ambition? What is it that drives you in the morning? And is it aligned with God's mission? And secondly, what is God calling you to do? I don't believe that God is calling everyone in here to become a missionary. I reject the notion out of hand that we're all missionaries. Some are called to be sent out to faraway places, and others are called to reach the nations that are at our doorstep. Probably the most of us are called to do that. But I also believe that more than 0.04% of God's people probably are called to go. So the question is, what is God calling you to do? What is the place that you are to have in God's mission? Is it to give more generously? Is it to take that job that God's giving you in the skills and leverage that for kingdom effectiveness? Is it to see the gospel spread here in Harrisburg and the surrounding communities? Is it to get behind a missionary and pray for them and encourage them? Or maybe is God calling you to be sent out by this church in global mission? And then lastly, this is something for us all to pray about, is what is God calling this church to do? 
All around the country, we're seeing churches that are shrinking back from the mission because it's too painful, it's too difficult. My heart is that here in my own church, that God would raise us up with a heart of courage and strength and gospel faith, that we would begin to dream and strategize together about what God might do next through the church here, Community Evangelical Free Church, as we move to a new building and we muster our resources, that God would use us in a new and a fresh way to reach the nations for his glory. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this song that must be sung, that has gripped our hearts. Lord, help us not to become passive with it or or used to it, or that church would just be the cultural thing that we do on Sunday mornings, but Lord, that you would engage us in your mission. We would see you for who you are, and we would see ourselves for who you've called us to be, and that we would obey. In Jesus' name we pray. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us.